0: What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 156 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to don't be a jerk. Don't answer your
1: question first by not answering your question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talk about beard. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul.
0: And I'm Andy.
1: And we are The Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan.
0: If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at TheBeardedVegans.com. And you can always reach us by emailing TheBeardVegans at gmail.com.
1: In today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been eating, go over the news, and then it's finally time to ask the question Do insects matter morally?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Paul, it's the bug episode.
1: the the that we've been putting it off for probably over a year we've been getting mailbag questions about it for definitely over a year and finally gonna tackle it
0: yeah and you know what i feel like one this is a great follow-up to last week's live episode because we did talk a lot about the whole thing with bees pollinating avocados and other vegetation that we eat and does that matter is that an issue but you know what paul even though it doesn't feel like it's you and i right at this very second it's also Halloween today.
1: <laughs> what what better day to talk about these creepy crawlers than Halloween, October thirty yeah. first?
0: Yes, absolutely. So ho- hopefully you're all listening to this on October thirty first, or else <laughs> this will seem real weird.
1: Andy vetoed my my proposition to do the whole episode in a vampire vampire <laughs> accent, but uh, <laughs> I suppose it'll be okay.
0: That'll actually be a bonus episode, is us just redoing this episode in a vampire accident. Well, you'll, <laughs> you'll have a Dracula accent, and I'll respond with Frankenstein's creature grunts.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Perfect.
0: But before we do any of that, Paul, got to make an announcement. Coming up very soon, Atlanta VegFest. We're doing our, our final live podcast of the year. That's going to be on November 10th. And time time TBA, but should be fun. Paul... Mm -hmm. Did you see the promotional video that Atlanta VegFest made for this event?
1: I did not.
0: It's done with a professional voiceover actor.
1: Oh my God.
0: So I'll just say that our name has never sounded so good. (laughs) Let me play this for you right now. The Bearded Vegans.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that's amazing. So good, so good,
0: and the the I, I'll put a link to this person's na- the Instagram in the show notes. They actually like the actor tagged us on the on like this personal voice actor on their personal Instagram. Nice, uh, it's great. They're very proud of this work, and I think that they should be. And I feel like we're we're joining the echelons of so many commercials that this yeah. person has done. It's
1: pretty great. I'm gonna I'm gonna have that saved. That'll be my ringtone when someone calls me <laughs> the bearded vegans, the bearded vegans, the bearded vegans. <laughs> great (laughs) so Andy have you been eating anything good
0: yes Paul I went I went to Portland Oregon one Ah. of my favorite places to eat on the whole planet and eat I certainly did (laughs) so much so that I think that we are going to try and do a, a bonus episode at some point where I talk about all the amazing things that I ate but for now let me hold you over with this I got to check out dough Donuts. Hard to say. D-O-E Donuts. This is a place everyone's been raving about. Uh, they were not open the last time that I was in Portland. Yeah, everyone had been raving about this place. When I put the call out on Facebook, where should I go to eat in Portland? I feel like 80% of the people were like, you must go to dough donuts. And actually, the, the Veg News Veggie Awards, they just released their results for for the winners of that big old mm-hmm. poll that happened earlier this year. Big old poll. Big old Pole, not to be confused with big old Paul, who I'm looking at right now. <laughs> <laughs> Via Skype. They actually won. They were tied with Donut Friend, oh. who is also, you know, they are definitely one of my favorite. They're in my top three donuts, I would say. Peaceful Provisions will always have my number mm-hmm. one spot. Mm-hmm. But so I was really excited to check out Dough Donuts. And I, I finally made the trip out there. I, Paula, have you, do they have those electric scooters? Oh my God, there's some ladybug in my van it's like they know get out of here (laughs) (laughs) paul do you know those electric scooters the the that you can like rent and you could just you you could just
1: leave them places and they they lock up yeah yeah yeah
0: That is my new preferred mode of transportation.
1: (laughs) That's awesome.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So great. I was just scooting around all over Portland in my very bright purple sweater, just having a grand old time. Oh my God. And I took a very, it's not really in town. So I took a very long trip on this electric scooter to dough donuts. (laughs) And I have to say 100% did not disappoint. Even, even with all of that hype it's along the lines of like their yeast, like raised donuts, but it's, it's uh, along the lines of like a, definitely like a, a fancier donut. It's not a junk donut, like mm-hmm. a, a voodoo donuts or a Ronald's or something like that. And I say that with, with all the love in my heart for like <laughs> a junky donut. Uh, they had, they had a lot of really interesting flavors. They had things that were like brownie Sunday with chocolate pudding Oof. and birthday cake and all of these things. Uh, the one that, I got two things and I got the pumpkin cheesecake donut so it's like a pumpkin glaze and then like a dollop of cheesecake in the center like a little like icing swirl of uh like you would see on a cupcake but like in the center of this this donut. And the donut itself, it's great. It's very light and fluffy, almost like croissant-like in terms of its texture, although very much a donut. And I have to say, this this cheesecake filling, it was so good. It was so spot on. You know, vegan cheesecake varies pretty wildly, Mm -hmm. and you never know what you're going to get, and this one did not disappoint. And then the other donut that I got that was really calling my name was a peanut butter caramel corn sriracha donut. Hmm. So it was like a peanut butter caramel kind of glaze and then these peanut butter caramel corn pieces piled up in the center and then it looks like a sriracha drizzle but it's definitely sriracha mixed with some kind of icing or sweetness or something it's not just like a straight hit of sriracha (laughs) that's like drizzled over the whole thing as well perfect balance of flavors everything was uh, it was just so good i i I wish I could have gotten like a dozen to try all of these really cool flavors that they had, but it's just something to look forward to for for future visits.
1: Just couldn't fit them on that scooter.
0: Well, it's funny because the these donuts are incredibly soft, and their 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 frostings and glazes and all that are like very. I want to say sticky. Like they are sticky, but they're just very like loose. Like they, <laughs> you know, like you couldn't. Turn them on their side in my backpack. Like, I ate the two immediately, and then I I was thinking maybe I'll get more, but there was just no way to transport them that wouldn't involve me holding it like a pizza (laughs) while I'm scooting (laughs) along. Like, I couldn't put them in my backpack. So, looking forward to trying them out in the future.
1: I I feel like that would be a great skit. Uh, Like, that would be in a bit on Portlandia. Just Andy riding around on his electric scooter holding donuts like a pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, Paul. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Had a great time at Portland Veg Fest. Turns out, you know, we haven't been there since this podcast started. I have not been there since this podcast started. Turns out, Paul, mm-hmm. we have a, a plethora of beardos Dang. in Portland. And I... I feel like when we give shout-outs to Beardos on the show, it's probably pretty boring to most people, because I think it's really boring when other podcasts list their Patreon supporters and all that. So if we start to have turnouts like this, we might actually have to start to nix this idea from the podcast. But I'm going to do my best to do this in rapid-fire succession. Going to give huge shout-outs to the, the new Beardos that we met. Eric, Erica, Chelsea, Marley, Tina, Heidi, West, Amber, Tony, Jessica, Rachel, Kim, Bubbles, Shane, Gina, Haley, John, Christian, Cameron, Christina, Devin, Santara, Santara, oh, sorry, Kelsey, Lindsay, Sam, Breezy, and Eileen on behalf of another Sam and Melanie who bought us pizza from Virtuous Pie. Nice. So thank you all for coming out, making, making me feel so welcome in Portland. It was great to meet everyone. And, yeah, just had such a such a blast out there. So it was a good time.
1: I'll make it out there eventually, one day.
0: I, Paul, it would be my dream to just get a week with you in Portland and just bring you everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so be on the lookout for that bonus episode with all the other food because there's so much good stuff there. And with maybe two exceptions, every place that I tried, Paul, mm-hmm. brand new to me.
1: Whoa. That's pretty cool. Portland
0: is the type of place where... You can leave for six months and come back, and there's like five new all vegan places. It's, it's, it's daunting. It's exhausting.
1: And you hadn't been there in th- like three years.
0: I think three years, maybe four at most.
1: Wow! So there was a, a plethora, like you said, <laughs> yes. of new vegan places. All right, shall we move on into the news, Andy?
0: Let's do it, Paul. Yes. With this, this, uh, I'm going to say very affirming piece of
1: news. Yeah, and also very mathy. So. That's good, too. (laughs) So this is from foodinsight.org. What's in a name? Survey explores consumers' comprehension of milk and non-dairy alternatives. And this is coming to us on October 11th, so a couple weeks ago and Andy this is a cool article like you said it's it's affirming and i i would have to agree with you because we've had plenty of conversations about how the the big dairy and big beef and the the cattlemen's association all these people are on constantly it seems trying to sue plant-based either meat products or plant-based milk products or what have you to get it so that they can't call them milk or they can't call them chicken or beef or, or, or meat or whatever. And our one of our most frequent comebacks is, or, or, well, I should say this. One of their most common arguments is that the consumer is confused and That they're like, oh, no, we just want people to understand what they're getting. And our comeback has always been we're pretty sure people know that soy milk is not milk and that if they wanted cow's milk, then they would know how to get that. And I think that this is this is confirming that. So let me read a little bit from this article. According to International Food Information Council. About three quarters of Americans understand that plant-based milk products do not actually contain cow's milk. 75% for soy milk and almond milk, 74% for coconut milk, 73% for rice milk, and 72% for cashew milk. Fewer than 10% believe that any of those products contain cow's milk, while the remainder say they don't know. 20% for cashew milk and rice milk, 18% for coconut milk, and 16% for soy milk and almond milk. Conversely, large majorities know that products labeled, quote, whole milk, 90% of people, chocolate milk, 85% of people, non fat milk, 78%, and skim milk, 74%, contain cow's milk, although the number falls to 48% for lactose free milk. Consumers expressed similar awareness about whether various products labeled as milks or butters contained cow's milk or plant-based ingredients. Cow's milk was identified as an ingredient in chocolate milk by 84% of respondents, in organic milk by 78%, and in butter by 77%, with only 8% or less believing that any of them contains plant-based ingredients. For lactose-free milk, 62% believe it contains cow's milk, and 14% cite plant-based ingredients. So Andy, originally I was like, "Ooh, it's only seventy-five percent of people believe that that uh, that soy milk is d- doesn't contain cow's milk." But I am, <laughs> I that's more than the people who know that skim milk contains actual cow's milk or that yeah. that chocolate milk contains cow's milk. So seventy-five percent. I'm like, okay, I'm okay with that number now. <laughs>
0: Yeah, at first, like before, before we got to that second part about people, the chocolate milk and the whole milk and all that stuff, I was thinking, oh, actually, they could probably say that. Yeah, twenty percent of the market is a huge portion of the market, and with that many people confused, it's bad. But then you turn to the second part where you're like, oh, I guess not everyone knows that cow's milk is in whole milk. Like ten percent of people don't yeah. know that. Like. I, I, I mean, to me that's just so bizarre, but you know I don't know I don't know this is that seems like something that was like a given since I've been born mm-hmm. that I just assumed that whole milk came from cows, and so it's 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 bizarre to me that there are people that don't know and then i also i do like the the, the slowly declining percentage of soy milk, 75% uh, coconut milk, 74, 73 percent for rice, 72 for cashew <laughs> milk and I'm picturing like that one person that's going down the line and they get to cashew milk and they're like these people are trying to trick me. I bet there's cow's milk and cashew <laughs> milk. I'm gonna say no, you yeah, know and yeah. that, that's like the the reason for the decline mm-hmm. there.
1: You know, it's funny, I feel like this is is not, I guess this is not serious, but for the the defendants of these lawsuits, for instance, the the dairy industry trying to sue plant-based milks to to say they can't call them milk, I feel like the comeback from the plant-based milks crew should be like, hey, you should actually be spending your time educating your your consumers about what is actually milk because the same amount of people that don't know that we aren't milk is the same amount of people that don't know that you are milk or are cow, a cow a product of cow's milk so they what if we just see this slew of commercials being like did you know skim milk contains cow's milk and uh, but, milk is milk. milk.
0: <laughs> I mean, the, I mean, really, the lactose-free milk people—they really got to step it up. Only forty-eight percent recognition there. I, like, Maybe they want that though.
1: Yeah, I get that though. You know, I, I, I can yeah. understand that more than skim milk or non-fat milk. But or ch- chocolate. The, the that that last part where it was asking if people thought things contained milk, cow's milk or plant-based ingredients, I was like. Well, chocolate milk probably contains cocoa, which is a plant... I was like, is this a trick question? Is, isn't is the answer both? It contains cow's milk and plant-based ingredients?
0: Maybe the plant-based ingredients part was just referring to a specific milk counterpart, like almond or coconut or something.
1: Maybe. I don't know. I guess I just... I I wasn't exactly sure what they were getting at as much with that that portion of the survey, but... The first two parts I thought were were encouraging for our position that, p- in general, people know what they are buying, and that's a a flimsy excuse for suing plant-based products or yeah, in general, plant-based products.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I don't know. I guess who knows if this <laughs> this survey is going to have any bearing on how these these legal cases bear out or in certain cases like missouri with the meat claims that, that that's not even like someone suing right well tofurkey is now suing the state of missouri because they're they passed the thing saying that you couldn't label things that didn't come specifically from an animal that was tortured and, and murdered horribly oh my God. as meat that you know must be actually had to have like four hooves on the ground or whatever the the weird qualification was Mm -hmm. but yeah so we we shall see but paul Mm -hmm. i feel like we totally nailed it on this one
1: yeah yeah and (laughs) you know what andy i i feel like in the past we've attempted to. so i like math but statistics is certainly not my area of expertise and i feel like in the past we've been critical of when we see a study done we've been critical of how many people were involved in the survey and so in this one it specifically says that it was the survey results were derived from a thousand u.s adults that who were surveyed and i feel like previously we've been harsher on such what we would deem small samples but i've done like a little looking into survey sampling and it's 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 truly astonishing how few relatively few people you need to make a, a to make a claim about just the popula- the general population. So it even says in this study that the margin of error is 3.1% or 3.1 points at a 95% confidence interval, which someone can email me in and correct me if I'm wrong, but I am fairly certain what that means is that you can be 95% confident that these results are true within about three percent so that that 73 percent for rice milk might actually be 76 percent but we can be 95 percent sure that it's it's in that range which is pretty confident
0: that's that's a lot of confidence Paul. it's a lot
1: of it's a lot of confidence Andy. so anyways math but yeah this was cool i i enjoyed reading this it made me feel good
0: Yeah, I felt like it'd be nice to have a a positive news story in there. And Paul, I think we just have so much to talk about regarding bugs that we're just going to dive right into this main discussion. But before we do that, we got some people to thank, some more names (laughs) to list. (laughs) So huge thank you to Melanie F.
1: Rebecca R.
0: Aaron K., Liza S. Jacqueline L. And Carissa. Yeah, and Carissa actually updated their pledge. So all of those names we just listed, those are people that are helping us out. They're throwing their support of at least a dollar a month to us via our Patreon account, which is a way for people to support artists, content creators they like on like a, a smaller, recurring monthly basis. Anyone that does that gets access to our Patreon feed where we put up the bonus episodes and things like a Portland food bonus app, things like that, good stuff happening there there and some people get early access a lot of people are getting merch out of it as well so if you want to get in on that you want to help out the podcast just head over to thebeardedvegans.com slash beardo which is spelled b-e-a-r-d-o
1: heck yeah thank you to everyone who's been supporting us
0: yeah it's um it's great we, we really appreciate it all right paul mm-hmm. this is it is time to do the dang thing. This is a topic we've been putting off for a while because I think it requires us to do a lot of thinking and a lot of research to have a a well-informed opinion. And I'm excited to dive into this with you because, despite all you know, the research and reading that I've been doing and feeling like I have a pretty good grasp on how I feel about all this, there are still also some some really great questions posed by our listeners that will be sprinkling in throughout this conversation that I'm still not really sure how I would personally navigate it. Or, you know, if I was forced to come up with like a ruling in a court of law, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. side I would come down on in the, in the vegan court of law. So, so we are doing, we're doing the bug episode right now.
1: L- like a beetle, Andy, it's time to do the dung thing.
0: <laughs> nice. So, Paul, before <laughs> we do anything, mm-hmm. before we do anything, uh, a note about terminology. Paul. Yes, Andy. Did you know... That bugs and insects are two different classifications of creature?
1: I did not know that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Neither did I until I started to look into this. So... That is that is the case. I wanted to make sure we were accurate in our terminology. And I, f- I, you know, I was just sort of thinking that bug was sort of this umbrella term for all the creepy crawlies, spiders, worms, bees, ticks, things like that. And bugs have like a very specific classification, as do insects. Insects are not an umbrella term either. So I actually found a little paragraph on dictionary.com about this. So I'm just going to read this real quick. We tend to use the word bug loosely for any very small creature with legs. However, a true bug is defined as belonging to the order Hemiptera. I'm sure we're going to have all sorts of bad pronunciations throughout this, Paul. So apologies (laughs) in advance to all offended insects and bugs. (laughs) These creatures characteristically have tough forewings and lack teeth, such as beetles. True bugs have a stylet, a mouth shaped like a straw, that they can use to suck juices from plants. Insects belong to the class Insecta, and they are characterized by three-part bodies, usually two pairs of wings and three pairs of legs, such as bees and mosquitoes. Arthropods, spiders, ticks, centipedes, etc., is a separate phylum from bugs and insects. Uh, All of this does not mean that you are wrong to call various insects bugs, because of the common usage of this meaning. It's certainly acceptable.
1: Andy, it must be infuriating to be a a bug or insect or arthropod scientist and constantly have to go through life with people mis misnaming <laughs> like your life's work.
0: <laughs> yep. I certainly found a few articles from from various entomologists that Expressed that and a few that were like <laughs> it's silly. It's ridiculous. I don't correct people because the, the 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 true Differentiation is like kind of meaningless in terms of like the overall conversation Yeah, and yeah, I saw some people that were like well arthropod is like good for describing almost everything but also Because that actually makes up 80% of the animal kingdom but it also includes like crabs and shrimp and krill and lobsters and even barnacles so uh, all of this is to say Apologies to any entomologists in the house, <laughs> we're probably just going to use bug and insect interchangeably.
1: Yep. Yep. Yes, we are, <laughs> Andy.
0: <laughs> okay. So, Paul, I feel like what we're trying to get at with this conversation is do insects, do bugs, do these creepy crawlies that generally ha- rank probably very low on the human empathy scale compared to larger animals like cows or or chickens even, Uh do they matter morally? And I think that to get at the heart of that, we sort of maybe have to do a little bit of exploring into like, you know, like what does it mean for for a creature, for someone to matter morally? And I think like as vegans, like sort of our, our baseline entry point is, are they an animal, right? Like I feel like when people say, why don't we eat honey? Um, I have a I have a specific answer that I give to people, but I often hear and I used to use this just sort of blanket qualification early on. I would just say well technically bees are animals and as vegans we don't use animals to our own means mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. which is like true. but I also feel like it's almost kind of like well well, what about someone being an animal? Gives them the qualification of us not wanting to exploit them, mm-hmm. and so so yes, like insects, bugs, they are animals, right? But so I found out, Paul. In order to be qualified as an animal, there's only three things: must be multicellular. So Check. cell-based meat is is checking off that first one. I'm assuming <laughs> uh, must feed on other organisms to obtain energy and must have an orifice that food enters and waste exits. So, it's like a pretty low bar.
1: Yeah, pretty low bar. And I feel like bugs bugs are going under that bar.
0: They are are just limboing under that bar right there. (laughs) Um, So, Paul, I guess let me ask you this question. So like when i when i read those three qualifications nothing about those makes me go oh yeah those beings and anyone that meets that is deserve, inherently deserving of some sort of right or some sort of moral consideration necessarily so like let me ask you like what like what do you think gives beings like their their qualifications for us to
1: care about them i would say andy that the qualification that matters is the ability to uh, some sort of sentience and some sort of pain feeling and and i guess how how that pain affects them matters as well i guess cuz i'm tr- i'm tr- like i'm trying to think about the difference between a plant receiving stimuli and reacting to that versus an animal receiving stimuli and acting and acting on that negative stimuli and acting on that, because certainly you can hit plants with negative stimuli and they will react to it. But I don't care about that as much as uh, an insect maybe, or an animal or a human. So I guess how, I guess that's what, that's where I'm, that's where I'm landing on right now. Andy is the pain factor and the, like the awareness factor.
0: You know, I think that's probably a pretty good place to land, Paul. Like, I think about that classic Jeremy Bentham quote that's so often used in vegan circles, all the way back from 1789. The question is not can they reason, nor can they talk, but can they suffer? And and so, yeah, sentience, which is sort of this, it's basically the ability to perceive or feel. And I, you know, I guess I'd never like truly, really delved into that. Like, I was like, does sentience mean? being sort of cognitively aware of your environment. Does it mean having thoughts like, like what is sentience? And it's, it's like, it was created as a way to differentiate between having the ability to reason versus just sort of being like uh, having the ability to feel things. So like in Western terms, it's generally thought of as like the ability to experience sensations, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's, it's not synonymous with creativity or intelligence or self-awareness or even like intentionality or something like that. Uh, It's not, the ability to have thoughts about something. It's just sort of the ability to be aware of of something causing you pain or pleasure. Mm-hmm. And I i wasn't sure. Like, I, I guess I had read various things that some people were like, well, bugs aren't sentient. Some say that they are. When I think about bugs, I think like intuitionally, my, my intuition, is intuitionally a word? Probably not. My intuition says that they must be able to feel pain because they have legs. They have the ability to escape pain hmm. and like wouldn't, you know, like to me, they think about that as one of the big difference between plants and, and all other beings that can feel pain is that it seems like evolution from an evolutionary perspective, it seems like it's a real detriment to not be able to move away from pain that you can <laughs> feel.
1: Or move towards the things that you need.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, I guess if a plant can't reach the things that they need, they would die. Right. So, so they, they don't necessarily have a need to be as mobile as an insect or a, a dog or a cat or a human or something like that.
1: So by your metrics, screw snakes. Am I right? <laughs> no legs. I mean, what
0: even are snakes, Paul? Are they worms?
1: <laughs> just big worms. Just, big mean just, worms. Just
0: big mean worms with a skeleton. <laughs> so, OK, so like so sentience. So so I think that that's probably pretty good. And then, and then the question is: Well, are these bugs sentient? Because yeah, they have the ability to, to move around and, and escape pain, or go towards a food source, or, or build a shelter. But also, you know, when I think about like ants, when I see a bunch of ants, I'm kind of like, are are they are they thinking about what they're doing? Well, or are they just sort of like, is this just like a program that they're that that they're on, and they just sort of do it, and they aren't really thinking about? It? I guess that's not sentience, but like. I don't know. It
1: it is certainly interesting that there is clearly some sort of intelligence going on there with the just the like the efficiency and, you know, with like the the scent trails and how they lead each other to the food and stuff like that. It's like there is this intelligence that is happening, whether or not they're aware that they are doing it or like you were saying, it's just some pre-programmed thing. I think you can find that in you can find that in like every every species of of either animal or insect or what have you it's like there's always there always seems to be something that's that's going on that allows them to survive how they're surviving and does you know like does it matter if if they are aware that they're doing this thing I don't know I guess that's what we're gonna <laughs> that's what we're here to talk about
0: yeah I, I guess I, I, I suppose the awareness is sort of a step above the sentience I get like the question is, Regardless of whether they're aware or not if someone sets these ants on fire while they're trying to do the thing it causes them pain and We generally I guess sort of like the the philosophical thought is that Pain is bad and we should avoid pain and we should avoid causing pain, right? Yeah, so so yeah, I guess I guess to me whether or not they're even aware of the task that they're doing I, I Guess that almost might be irrelevant.
1: Interesting. Interesting. I, I don't
0: know. I, I don't really know how I feel about that, but, um, what were you gonna say?
1: Do ants look in the mirror and say, who am I? <laughs> <laughs> they've self-awareness. Oh, no one
0: told me my antler was crooked today.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I found, uh, I found like so many varieties of sources talking about whether or not, Insects Feel Pain. Uh, I found, a, I think, a really succinctly put one. It was written by Jeff Lockwood, who's an insect ecologist and professor of natural sciences and humanities uh, over at the Oxford University Press. And uh, Jeff Lockwood wrote a blog on the subject. So I'm just going to read a little excerpt from it. Basically, Jeff says... There, there are a number of reasons why it would seem logical for us to conclude that animals feel pain, or that specifically insects feel pain. Uh, first, insects have a nervous system that resembles ours in many ways. That is, they see, hear, smell, taste, and feel. Many of our pains arise from pressure, shock, heat, and other stimuli administered at high levels, and insects most assuredly respond to these bodily sensations. Insects can even detect stimuli that are outside of our sensory scope. For example, butterflies can see ultraviolet wavelengths, and bees can detect the plane of polarization of light. Next, there are relevant biochemical similarities between insects and human nervous systems. At least some invertebrates possess endorphins and ankyphaeus. These chemicals are opioids, think opium, produced by the body to alleviate pain and stress. So the presence of these in insects suggests that they might experience pleasure or pain. We also know that the mechanisms of neural transmission are similar in insects and humans. This is one of the reasons that neurotoxic insecticides also poison you along with the cockroach in your kitchen. In fact, the organophosphate insecticides are based on the nerve gases developed during World War II. Kind of creepy, eh? Hmm. Finally, from an involuntary perspective, the awareness of pain is an enormously adaptive mechanism. Feeling pain when you touch something hot allows a fast response and a learning opportunity. So it is unreasonable to assume that pain is unique to humans. In fact, this perception might reasonably be expected in organisms whose survival can be augmented by the experience of pain, either as part of an escape mechanism or as a basis for the capacity to learn from past experience. Insects have lots of things inflicting damage on them. Fly swatters, bug zappers, lizards, bats, <laughs> entomologists, etc. <cetera. laughs> and they certainly have the ability to learn. One experiment showed that headless cockroaches can learn, which is possible because insects don't stuff all their neural processing into their heads like we do. So it seems quite reasonable that insects would have evolved the capacity to feel pain. Hmm. Yeah, so you know when I when I hear a lot of people talk about you know from like the vegan perspective about in- insects feeling pain, I f- there still sort of is almost this like lingering doubt, like it's not necessarily proven that they feel pain, but it feels like it's reasonable for us to assume that these insects experience something negative when they are harmed in some way, right? And and they're. They're living creatures, and so regardless of the fact that they may or may not be aware of what they're doing, it still feels like it's in their best interest for us to leave them alone and not intervene and not cause them harm. Would you say that's fair, or do you think yeah. that's off base?
1: No, I think that hearing that makes me, so kind of like solidifies my opinion that I that I think I, I guess I already had, which is I should avoid harming these insects at all costs. Like I certainly know vegans who don't care about insects at all and, and are like F these, F these, F these things and we'll swat them and stuff. But I think I've kind of typically taken the position that's let's try to not harm them as much as possible. If, you know, I may have a knee jerk reaction of, like swatting a mosquito if it lands, if it starts sucking my blood or something like that. But I guess if I think about it, I would say, Hey, you stop that and just shoo them off. But I don't know. I certainly don't think that like, I, I feel like Andy and we're, I'm sure we'll get into this, that there's more than one discussion to be had, which is, should we care about them all? But then should we care about them at all? And then how much should we care about them? Because certainly you know many people face issues with like in terms of pests with insects more so than you know like you're not gonna most people typically don't have the problem of like say a a deer like oh i got this big deer problem in my house these deer just keep hanging (laughs) out in my kitchen and i can't get rid of them you know so i feel like insects are many times for for people who for homeowners like that's a big thing also i guess i guess there are other pets like rats and mice that fall into that category as well, but insects is the big one, I think.
0: Yeah, I think there's, there's certainly logistical differences between insects and other larger animals, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I guess for, for the sake of this conversation moving forward, we are going to operate under the assumption that it seems likely that bugs and insects feel pain, and operating from that principle you know, we can, we can sort of move forward the discussion and regardless of whether the pain is like, you know, as bad as a human feels or some other animal feels, you know, cause like Paul, we can never truly know what anybody else is feeling. I can't, I can't even say for certainty that the pain you feel when you burn your hand is the same pain that I feel when I burn my hand.
1: I feel no pain.
0: So <laughs> it's cause you're a cold dead husk. Um I'm a burnt out shell of a man though, so it's okay. We're in, in good company. Uh so so like I guess like with that sort of like philosophy one oh one caveat out of the way, like we're gonna generally say pain is bad and it's likely that these insects, that these creepy crawlies do feel pain. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, like the, the vegan line of thinking is basically And maybe even non-vegan as well, but sort of like, you know, if someone can feel pain, that means that they then have an interest in avoiding pain, you know, and we could call that interest a a need. Right. And we sort of assign rights based off of need. It's kind of, you know, when people are like, oh, do you want dogs to get be able to get married, to have the right to to marry whatever gender dog they want? like. (laughs) no they don't they don't have that need but humans have that need so it was you know we sort of think about you know what do animals need from us what sort of rights do we need to grant them uh if that's sort of your your line of thinking in terms of what animals need some people say this need to be left alone or that rights are kind of bogus because it's something that the oppressor hands down to the oppressed i i don't disagree with that but i think for this conversation rights is kind of the easiest way to frame it mm-hmm. um so so okay so these insects have Uh, a need to avoid pain we humans have the ability to rationally decide not to cause them pain or not to exploit them to use them so that brings me to my big question paul is uh so if these insects have a right to not feel pain what rights should they have
1: i certainly think that we shouldn't kill them that seems so okay okay so that seems like the the that that seems like the obvious first one. And it seems obvious, but and it seems like, oh, in my day to day interactions with insects, I don't need to kill them. But then I guess the the big conversation happens when you're talking about insects being in your home or in your kitchen or somewhere. I feel like that's when it becomes an issue, because if there is one insect, I don't think they tip. Well, Andy, we are lucky to be in places where well me i guess you're all over the place i'm lucky to be in places where insects don't pose these life threatening like the potential for life threatening like diseases or something like that or poison or anything so i feel like i'm not i'm not immediately threatened by insects so if there's just one or a couple i can either ignore them or relocate them but i feel like the conversation then comes in when there's multiple insects and they are maybe congregating around your sink or something like that.
0: Yeah. Well, so I think that this is a good place to drop in our first listener email mm-hmm. regarding this whole topic. So this is coming to us from Philippa or Philippa T who's emailing us actually from Copenhagen, Denmark. Ooh. Yeah. I started going vegan about a year ago, which is probably like two or three years ago at this point, by the time we <laughs> answer it. Uh, and one topic I haven't been able to make up my opinion about is how humans should treat pests in cities such as cockroaches, rats, seagulls. That's a problem some places, like in Scandinavia, etc. Killing them seems wrong, but what is a better way? I think we can categorize pests two ways. The health risks such as rats and cockroaches and purely annoying ones such as seagulls. <laughs> I love seagulls. Uh, <laughs> while I don't agree with killing animals that are inconvenient for humans, I can't find the right way to deal with pests posing a health risk to humans. What are your thoughts on this? So obviously, we're sort of zooming in on on like the cockroaches. There, we're not necessarily thinking about rats and seagulls, but I guess we could sort of talk about that. But I think that this is sort of this is the most common question that we get regarding insects, which is, I. You know, I, you know, people that are like us, they're like, okay, they probably feel pain. I don't want to cause them pain. I'll relocate a few spiders if I have to. But what if I get like a termite infestation or what if I, that's, that's, you know, damaging the structural integrity of my house, which is a health concern, which is, you know, something that could harm you greatly if it collapses on you or if you lose your shelter or whatever it might be, uh, or maybe some, some insects that are contaminating your food or spreading disease or something like that. So I guess this kind of question gets at like what are the what are the practical implications of of giving moral consideration to these insects? You know it, it's not possible to never kill them, or is it is that possible? Like how far should we take it? How do we balance our needs with their needs? What like what's your initial response to this, Paul?
1: I think it it I don't know, it just kind of sucks because it's like we've created like with every other animal, you know, it's like nine times out of 10, it's humans. We've kind of imposed ourself. We've imposed our presence to these animals or to these insects that that may have been there before we were there. And now it's like we're in this place where it's where we think about it as, oh, these insects are invading my house and my property where it's like, they're just trying to do their own thing. And they're like, Oh, look at all this food. We're just going (laughs) to get me a piece of that. So it's in one sense, it's sad because it's, we've just gotten to this point where that's, that's just how it is. And we see it as they are, they are invading our privacy versus like the other way around. And, but that being said, because we're not in a vacuum and because we need to we we need to you know look at things as they are right now you know it's like i can't i can't necessarily blame people for using extreme means to get rid of say cockroaches in their house if the cockroaches are going to be contaminating people's foods and posing serious health risks because i don't know what the alternative would be you know Especially if it's someone who's who has say tried non lethal methods and they none of them worked out and they still just have this cockroach problem that that is you know that you can't necessarily live with if if you want to avoid getting seriously ill. So I don't know. I can't blame people for taking those those actions against bugs. I guess in those situations.
0: Yeah, and yeah, we could know, certainly talk in a little bit about those alternatives, those non-lethal methods, or even ways of prevention. But yeah, what what if it does get to this point where it is a huge problem and it is a health risk? Um, you know, I, I guess I don't know. I guess a lot of these conversations sort of exist in this: how do you determine the line between is this seriously affecting me, or is it just inconvenient for a spider to be hanging out in my house, uh, or some other bug that's not as cool as a spider? And <laughs> You know, they, they eat the they eat the quote unquote bad bugs, so they say. Um when I, Paul, so when I think about this, I think about sort of extrapolating it out to just like my larger vegan philosophy, which is, you know, when people sort of pose these hypothetical questions that was, you know, if you were stranded on a desert island and and you had to kill a pig to eat or, or die, even though it's like, it's a, it's a ridiculous scenario. Like what is the pig eating all that stuff? Um, you know, but like, what if, yeah, what if a bear was charging at you while you were hiking or maybe even just like you're hanging out in your backyard and a a wolf comes by and they want to kill you? would you kill that wolf like or does your your vegan philosophy take you so far as to if that was your only option was to either kill that wolf or die that you would die and i don't i don't think that that is a reasonable position to take like i think that everyone has a right to self defense and so i think that even people that you know say that they're against murder or violence could find them in a, themselves in a position where they go it's it's acceptable in this scenario. It's understandable in this scenario. And even though, as a general principle, I say I don't want to harm an animal, there might be a situation in which I need to. And so I think you shrink that down to the the bug question. And I think the same principles apply. Um, I don't think that you know. I don't take joy if I ever have a situation where I do need to kill an insect or, or deal with that. Thankfully, I've never had you know, the worst infestation I've ever dealt with is I would say fruit flies and they have a short lifespan. They seem to go away kind of quickly, but I've had, you know, lived with roommates who put out bowls of, of vinegar and sugar and things to capture them. And, um, you know, th- things like that, that it's like, I guess fruit flies aren't life threatening. I don't know. Do they carry disease, but, um, but I understand the need to get them out of your kitchen. And so I, I don't know, I guess I feel like it's sort of about making that personal judgment for yourself, of do I need to remove these creatures? Do I need to kill these creatures? and not feeling like the, that that is not an option to you. Like I think that it should be an option if you determine for yourself in whatever situation it is, that you know what, these bugs, uh, they gotta go. and unfortunately, I have to be the one to 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 make that happen. Um, I think that that is morally permissible in my book
1: yeah yeah and it and it like stinks and and i've i've definitely been in a situation where i've had to decide whether or not like what to do about a bug issue well and, and you know what i'll just say it this is a this is a personal anecdote i had in my last apartment, i had both bug issues with cockroaches and other bugs and a, a mouse slash rat issue and with the with the bugs I ultimately decided that I did need to take extreme measures to get rid of them because they were crawling all over my kitchen. And with the rat though, I attempted to get rid of them with a humane trap, which never actually worked because apparently (laughs) they don't work typically as, as I read online, but I wanted to try it anyway. So I tried that and I (laughs) and that didn't work so I literally would just I, I had boxes these small like shoe boxes that I would stack in places all over my apartment where I was like I think that they're getting out in this area so I would put all these different boxes to hopefully cover up all the holes that I thought they were getting out of like my my closet wouldn't close all the way so I stacked all these things so that the rat wouldn't be able to get over the like the books and the boxes and it kind of worked and I think the Rat eventually went away, but but I didn't, so I did not take extreme measures against the rat, but I did against the bugs, and I, like I drew the line there. I guess
0: I thought you were gonna say, and the humane trap didn't work, so I just moved out.
1: <laughs> well, I'll say this I did move out, <laughs> but yeah, so I don't
0: know. Let's explore that. Um, do you think? the reason that you felt okay killing the bugs and not the rat was because you held them in different regard as to their pain and their awareness and their experience on this planet and their, their otherness, you know, like bugs are like very foreign. I think most people would say that they're not cute. Um, <laughs> d, d- do you think that's the reason or do you think it was harder to kill one than the other? Or It'd be a bigger mess to step on a mouse or like, how do you, why do you think you made that distinction?
1: I think, I think because I just hold insects to a lower degree of empathy than I do rats. And, you know, I, I think that we've talked about this, we've mentioned this before, but th- there are definitely, there are definitely people who say, you know, what is it like a bug is a mouse is a cow is a, is a human and try to put everyone on the same level. But I I don't think that I don't want to say that I, uh, maybe, I don't know. I was going to say, I don't think that there's a single person in, in the world that cares about every single living thing, living being the exact same amount, because even, even non-vegans will care more about if they, if say they have a, a companion dog or cat, non-vegans will care more about those animals than they do about some like rando from a like some stranger from across the world that you know it's like when when you hear about something some like sad thing happening across the world most people will get more upset about their if when their their animal dies you know than when someone that they don't know dies so it's like i i just think that it's it is a normal human thing to to care about those close to us more than more than those that aren't close to us. Uh, And I feel like that maybe extends to my insect thing, which is like, Andy, I just can't relate to them. They're just not very (laughs) relatable. And, uh, no, but that's not a reason to not care about something. But I think that that it just has to do with the fact that they are lower on my hierarchy of empathy. And not not that I don't – see, I was about to say not that I don't think that they, they you know, deserve to be hurt or something like that, even though that's kind of what I did ultimately. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to justify it, Andy. I'm a bad man.
0: Well, yeah, I think that's interesting because – yeah, I feel like my kind of overall philosophy is that, like, I don't have to hold various beings in the same regard to still want to afford them rights and protection and not want to personally cause them pain. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, you know, in preparation for this, I read essays from many people on their opinions and, and some people did say, yes, I do believe that, you know, the, the the life of a mosquito is as valuable as the life of a cow But it's just that situationally, I have to kill mosquitoes. Whereas, you know, you were sort of getting at this earlier. That, you know, we it's not like we go camping and there's thousands of cows flying around <laughs> us that we have to kill, right? And if that was the case, maybe we would have a different tune and maybe we would say, oh, we we do need to kill these animals for our own survival, um, but it's not. And so it's just like a situational difference, a context, a contextual difference uh, versus a, a value of life difference. And I, I mean I hear that argument, but I, I I guess I personally don't feel that way. Like I think that you are you are right, Paul. Or like I guess I'm more in line with your way of thinking. That's like, you know, I I think, you know, like as vegans, we are my, my partner says this all the time, but you know, we're we're anti-speciesist. It doesn't mean that we aren't speciesist right and so it's it's something that we're practicing as as like the vegan or princesses attack would say you know it, we're, we're practicing it we're not perfect in it and so it doesn't mean that we will never be hypocritical or that we will never uh you know make mistakes or, or flub it up a little bit and and so i feel like maybe this is just one of those cases where it's like we have to admit that like yeah we we do hold certain beings in higher regard it doesn't now there's a mosquito in my van i don't know where all these <laughs> bugs are coming from paul but you know it doesn't mean that that we can't care for for insects and bugs and and avoid honey and do our best to relocate spiders outside or whatever it might be and that all of a sudden if we if we kill one bug or a couple of bugs or have to take care of a cockroach roach infestation that all of a sudden it means we're hypocrites or that our veganism doesn't matter anymore or that mm-hmm. you know that we should just give it all up
1: i'll say this too one last thing about my my personal story is that i was more traumatized by the rat than i was with the cockroaches like the cockroaches were an issue that i was like i need to get rid of these because this is possibly going to be affecting my health but the rat Andy tortured me at night and and at one point crawled over my pillow as I was sleeping and that was much worse for me than the cockroaches. But still, I I don't know. I think it just goes back to the fact that I I think I just hold them in a different place than insects. And for that reason, I did not want to kill that that uh, that creature, although they were being a big old big old meanie to me.
0: I picture you two just becoming best friends in the long run, although that rat is probably now dying from unstoppable black mold.
1: <laughs> no, this is a different apartment. <laughs> uh,
0: okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, okay, Paul, I kind of, you know, I, I'm going to drop in another listener email right now. I think I kind of already started to address it, but let's throw it in the mix. This is from KDM. The other day I was out to dinner with my family and we ended up, as we almost unfortunately always do, on the topic of why I'm vegan. In one of my mother's many arguments she threw at me, the one that gave me the most turmoil was, well, you kill bugs sometimes. How is that any different? Admittedly, this is true. I do my best to move bugs I find to the outdoors, but inevitably we all have killed bugs simply by walking around during our daily lives. I said something about bugs not being sentient beings, but in retrospect, I'm not really confident or comfortable with that answer. How would you address the situation? Of course, we already sort of answered that, that it seems likely that bugs are sentient. Um, but yeah, Paul, this how would you navigate this situation?
1: Andy, I think it, something it comes back to for me is, because I was thinking about this when when the last emailer mentioned the seagulls and in my head i was like well not that i live in this place but it's i imagine it's not that seagulls are flying inside these people's homes with with a relative frequency <laughs> so it's it, i feel like it's like a different kind of annoyance and it's the type of thing that it makes me think about birds in general where you know how some buildings they equip buildings with those spikes that to to prevent birds from landing on them which can then which then unfortunately ends up hurting them or maiming them and I think it's the type of thing where if we can find i feel like some some architect or engineer out there can find a way to design something or engineer something that is both that doesn't hurt the birds and also keeps them off the building if that's the desired effect or keeps them from pooping on people which is probably the ultimate desired effect and it just seems like it's in a different category than the bug thing because maybe the maybe these seagulls are attacking people alfred hitchcock lock alfred hitchcock like attacking people and like hurting people, but, but ultimately I feel like it doesn't pose the same potential threat health hazard as the bugs. So maybe it comes back to your self-defense thing, Andy, where it's like, we're allowed to do things to protect ourselves, but that's much different than me saying, Oh, I need, I needed to kill this cow so that I could eat their meat. Like it's, that's like a completely just selfishly motivated purely for the the it, like the enjoyment of purely for pleasure type of killing rather than self-defense or like mm-hmm. these bugs are posing a health hazard to me or they're, they're these bugs are interfering with my day-to-day life I can't pick up my coffee mug without cockroaches crawling out everywhere it's like even if it's not necessarily a health hazard i would still consider that like a a a daily hazard as opposed to eating meat so it's like i I think i might respond by differentiating those two things and how it's very different when someone is choosing to do something for enjoyment versus doing something out of necessity that's what i would say
0: yeah and i think that there's also differentiation between eating meat in like a survival scenario versus one where, you know, someone has access to alternatives Mm -hmm. and, and that, you know, we, we tend to have these, these rules or sort of, you know, the, 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 the easy way to look at things, vegan means don't kill animals. Uh, And of course, there are like all these sort of little caveats and gray areas that we're always exploring on the show. Uh, And I think that, you know, like you you have these these conversations like Katie M has in this email here, which is kind of people try to exploit those weird gray areas and try to say that because we can't be 100% consistent in every aspect of our lives or that I don't even want to say consistent because I think that, you know, appropriately dealing with gray areas in the best way you can is ethically consistent, uh, you know, with, with trying to do the best that we can, but people try to exploit these scenarios in which things are not ideal. You know, the fact that we just sort of exist in currently a very non-vegan world and you know people bring these things up as gotchas as a way to sort of attempt to nullify your entire practice of veganism and so that's i think how i would respond was basically saying so you think that because i can't do everything means that i should do nothing because that's usually what people are trying to do here they're trying to make you feel like Nothing you do is going to make a difference or that it's it's that you're hypocrite, and everything is ridiculous. Uh, and of course, the extension of that is that they are trying to make themselves feel better about their decisions because all of a sudden, if they feel like you, someone that they're maybe, you know, regardless of if you say it or not, they're like, this person thinks they're better than me because they're causing less harm in the world. you know, then all of a sudden, they feel personally attacked by that, regardless of whether you attack them or not you know, we all, we all experience that as vegans, right? You just, someone at a party just mentions that you're vegan. You didn't even say it yourself. And now all of a sudden everyone's telling you about how little meat they eat and (laughs) how they only get the local stuff from the good farmer. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, what about uh, cows overrunning the world? All of those things that come up. And so if they can find some way to poke holes in your personal practice of veganism, all of a sudden they feel like, well, I you know, I I don't have to engage in this idea because they haven't figured out the one hundred percent perfect solution to every problem that exists in this world, or even the one hundred percent possible way to to practice the, the the lifestyle or philosophy or ethics that they are espousing or claiming to hold. And so, I think I, w- I would bring that up. Like, I'm like, well, what is your point about all that? Does that mean that because I uh, unfortunately occasionally will hit some bugs with my car or can't avoid stepping on a worm in a rainstorm. Does that mean that it's okay for you to knowingly slaughter animals or pay someone else to slaughter animals and cause them pain that is totally avoidable? Like, I think I would sort of pursue that line of questioning with someone that brings this up.
1: And, you know, this makes me think of because you were saying, oh, if you can't do everything, you should do nothing. I feel like. You know, there are so many of these little nuances or ways that, you know, uh, just pointing out ways that vegans are not perfect, which which we are not. And we are not 100 percent compassionate and we're not 100 percent cruelty free. And we can't be the way that the way that just the world works right now. But I do think when people kind of try to get you with these gotchas, I think it's fair to say, like, I'm trying to encourage this global mindset mindset shift to being more compassionate and more open to these changes so because i certainly think if more people thought along these lines then there would be more people working towards solutions to some of these problems that we don't have solutions to like for instance how there are there is collateral deaths in the in the harvesting of crops like there are small rodents and other animals that are going to die in the harvest of plants and I think that while I'm I'm sure that's not really on many people on many farmers radars maybe it is it's, it's not on their radars I think if we had like a, a vegan world or if we had a world where people were more into thinking compassionately and thinking how to be more cruelty free than there would be people trying to figure out the solutions to this and i do i 100 percent think that someone could figure out how we could harvest crops without the deaths like that just like i think that if more people were thinking about it we could probably figure out ways to prevent insect infestations and rodent infestations that didn't require killing them but since that's kind of To me, it seems the norm of how things are. That's just what people go to and that's just what happens. And then it's a cycle of, well, why do we need to develop different ways? Because this is just how it gets done and it solves my problem. So why wouldn't I get it done like that? You know?
0: Yeah. And so it's interesting that you talked about ways of preventing you know, these infestations, I think maybe before we sort of get away from this conversation and move to some more like advocacy based questions, um, I know that you were looking into like, what, what are things that we can do to help insects? And I think for me personally, I I think a lot of it is about preparing your household or like living your life in a way that will be preventative. So you don't even have to ask the question, what should I do with this cockroach?
1: Yeah, so I, I went on I found a couple websites and this first one organiclesson.com had a few different articles about like for specific different types of pests. And for ants, for instance, it suggested spraying vinegar along entry points, cleaning your home, sprinkling cinnamon next to ant entry points, but for a lot of it it was just it, it was mostly lethal ways it was like Andy, I was not aware that there were so many different ways to kill ants, to be honest. And it was just like all these different <laughs> ways. And that was kind of the norm throughout this website because, for instance, on the gnats and fruit flies one, it was like 10 different ways to create that that trap that you were talking about where it's like putting vinegar in a bowl or, or something sugary in a bowl and basically just catch, capturing them and killing them. And besides the traps, like it really only suggested preventative measures it was it was less like oh i have a problem what can i do to, to to solve it without killing them and it was more like how can i prevent them from coming in and that's just kind of obvious stuff like cleaning and covering or getting rid of trash bags or don't not having damp areas in the kitchen or changing pot soil which i did not know that that was the thing that encouraged gnats and fruit flies but for those of you with plants don't have bad soil but And then, and then the the cockroach one was like purely Andy. This website seemed to take sadistic pleasure in killing these these insects because the number one suggestion for cockroaches was create roach cookies using boric acid, and I was like, "Good (laughs) lord, it's like sinister." (laughs) Um, Good lord. And yeah, when I when I googled. Non, I googled non-lethal ways to get rid of bugs. The very first result was a video that was just called "How to Kill Bugs Without Poison," and I was like, <laughs> oh, "Okay, so we're still killing them." The non-lethal most people are taking that as non-lethal for humans and not non-lethal for bugs. But I was able to find uh, one website, Bug Off with Three Fs dot com, that was they had a little article called "Get Rid of Ants Without Killing Them." And the suggestions they said were hide ant tracks that function as scent trails, which I thought was interesting, prevent access by sealing off entrances to your home, collect ants inside the house, prevent ants from returning by using natural repellents, and then if necessary, use baits. But that scent one I thought was pretty cool, like kind of throwing them off the scent per se. But yeah, so for the most part, like I was saying before, Andy, it just seems like it's the norm that if you have this problem you are going to kill them. Like, that's just what people kind of assume that other people want to do. Like, it was it was difficult to find methods that were not just, oh, here's 10 ways to kill ants, basically.
0: Well, I guess that really just sort of points to uh, the attitude over society in general. So, yeah, I guess practicing good cleanliness and, and all of that is really important to sort of be proactive about the whole situation.
1: And- And yeah, like what I I was saying before, basically, like I I feel like if we shifted that attitude of, oh, I want them out of my house, but I don't want to kill them. Like if that was just the ethic that people had was to be more compassionate, I feel like it it would be much easier to find preventative measures or ways to get rid of them that didn't involve killing them. So I think we can work towards that, uh, that mindset shift.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right. So, Paul. Mm-hmm. With with all of that sort of on the table, um, how do you think? Do you think that this, you know, I don't want to say discovery, but this idea that insects feel pain and it's still good for us to avoid when possible, and it's not always possible. Do you think that should affect our messaging that we use in advocacy?
1: I would. Uh, my gut instinct is to say no because I think it's one of those things that if you start to tell, if, if you start talking about insects, nervous systems to someone that might not be super on board with veganism as a whole, I think you would lose them. I like, I, I think in general, if someone's not super on board with veganism, or maybe even if they're slightly on board with it, getting into something that for the general population, I imagine is not something that people care about that much. I, I, I think that that, is a recipe for losing people? obviously, I think if they bring it up, then we can talk about it. but my first instinct is to say, no you we don't need to bring up insects i don't i I don't think bringing up insects is going to bolster our like uh rate of turning people into vegans.
0: Is it speciesist for us to leave them out of our advocacy?
1: hmm, it's a good question, Andy. I think, well, we're certainly, most people aren't (laughs) going into vegan advocacy with this giant list of every animal, every type of species that exists and being like, and this is why you should help this animal. This is why you should help this animal. I think it sounds bad that I'm saying we should actively exclude these, (laughs) these insects from our advocacy. But at the same time, I don't think it's necessary to include every bit of everything like i i think it's maybe one of those situations where it's like you get someone on board with the animals and then this is a discussion you have later on and i mean even we're having this session now andy without a concrete answer so i feel like the odds of getting winning someone over that has no interest in this kind of stuff is is unlikely
0: yeah yeah no i agree because even though i'm sort of sitting here saying that i that i do my best to avoid you know Causing harm to insects, I I still, it's, there's still something inside of me, if I'm being honest with myself, that's like, yeah, I don't want to cause harm and it's bad to cause harm, but I just don't honestly really feel that bad when I have to. Yeah. Even though, even though I do my best to avoid it. Like, I feel like if I'm being honest with myself, you know, if I swat a mosquito that's biting me, regardless of whether that's, you know, gonna, you know, that, that bite probably wasn't gonna kill me. That mosquito probably didn't have malaria, right? Yeah. And so is it really self defense or is it just kind of like a convenience thing? But it's like, yeah, I, you know, I try to avoid that. I try to avoid situations where I'm gonna have to do that. But yeah, I just don't feel feel as bad and it's like i don't know does that make me a bad vegan um some people might say yes some people might say no but i th- you know i think that it's important for us to acknowledge that like there might be tactics that we have to use or messaging we have to use that maybe is speciesist like i i think that you know like the the process of spaying and neutering dogs and cats right i i th- I think that that it violates their rights. Like we are, we are doing something to their bodily autonomy. We're taking it away from them, but we're sort of doing it in the service of of a greater good. And I, you know, I think that there there might be things like that that people would say that's not totally in line with like. You know, the society that we want, this vegan world that we want, where we wouldn't have to do that or we wouldn't have to intervene with the animals in this way. And so I I think that maybe like excluding, you know, like never mention them, but like not putting these bugs at the forefront of vegan advocacy. I I have to agree. Like like you said, there's that, that empathy gap there. And it's, yeah, we, we don't relate to these bugs and, you know, we can relate to cows and pigs in the way that we relate to the dogs in our homes. But, you know, the average person does not look at a spider and it does, you know, and has like empathy evoked from them. So I think that, you know, we don't, we don't have to lead with it, but yeah, like you said, if, if it comes up, have the conversation with someone and, you know, I guess someone the counter would be well then why do you talk about honey so damn much or like why include honey like why ever talk about it and there are a lot of vegan advocates who say don't talk about honey don't bring it up Um, you know me personally it's like I agree I don't think that's the flagship cause but also you know my my company I make a sticker that says honey belongs to bees and that sticker starts more conversations at the merch table than almost anything else that I make and you know my response is basically that. To me, the honey issue is at the core of veganism, which is that it's the product of their labor, and veganism is about bodily autonomy and respecting consent. And we don't have consent to take the product of another being's labor, and we do not need it. It's generally not a survival situation for us, so we don't take it. And when I explain that to people, I've had so many people say, Oh, I've, I've never heard it explained to me that way. You know, usually people just say, Well, they're animals, so we don't take it. And that, you know, that's sort of like, people like okay I get it because that's the rules of veganism but I don't really get it so you know for me personally I've questioned should I make the sticker should I not but ultimately I feel like it, it's like a useful tool but I think that it's, it's not the only message that we should have and I don't necessarily think it's the message that we need to lead with nor should we lead with um, but I guess that's where I sort of fall down in terms of including insects and bugs and, and arthropods and whatnot in our advocacy
1: yeah, no, I definitely, I, I feel the same way about the honey issue as you, Andy, that it's more of like, this is this is part of my philosophy that I'm not going to exploit others without their, well, let's say I'm not going to exploit others without their consent, but I shouldn't be exploiting others anyways, even with people's consent. It probably I would it,
0: not be exploitation with yeah, their consent. Yeah, true, true, true. Their enthusiastic consent. At least.
1: <laughs> so, like, I, I feel like the honey issue is in that sense, very different from the, the pest insect issue. Like, it's like a, I feel like it's a completely different realm of like what we're talking about and the ethics involved in it. Because, you know, it's interesting though, is Andy, when you were saying, oh, when a mosquito bites you, you know, it's, it's not like, it's not going to kill you, but we still will often kill them when, when they're biting us. And, you know, if I have a, if I have a cat, and the cat bites me, I mean, some people do take that as like, okay, we're going to put this animal down. But for the most part, I think most people wouldn't say like, Oh, I need to kill this animal now. You know? So it's like, we do, I I think we are speciesist in that sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think you're onto something, Paul, in that with a vegan world, we would be confronting these problems less because you would Google how to deal with ants in my home and it wouldn't be a list of ways to sadistically kill ants poison cookies it might be a lot of people that have worked together to figure out the best options
1: yeah yeah exactly all right andy i'm gonna bring us home with this last email so this is coming to us from janelle m who emailed in from toronto Hey Beardos, I'm wondering what you think about using grasshoppers and other insects as a food source for humans. I've heard they have a very low impact on the environment. Does that mean that killing these insects directly would actually save a lot more animals overall? Or even if these insects are sentient, would the quantity of pain and suffering in the world go down? So Andy, I think this is super interesting because and this this very much ties into what we were just talking about, because now this is the shift of taking the kitchen insects and then turning it into the the honey issue, which is now we would be exploiting and using these insects. So what do you think about this?
0: So this is something that I you know, I I love Shark Tank, Paul, and I've seen at least one company come on and be like, we're making cricket protein. It's the protein of the future. And often the argument is that, you know, like, like Janelle sort of poses here, that it's actually it's less input than eating cows or chickens or anything like that. And doing a little research, it seems that, yes, that is, in fact, the case that it's better to eat crickets than it is to eat cows or pigs or chickens. Um, but it is not necessarily the case that it's better to eat crickets than it is to eat plants directly um you know there's very obviously various plants have various inputs but these crickets they still need to be fed and often they are fed these commercially grown um feeds (laughs) like corn and whatnot uh, which i had no idea about and so so it seems like overall it's not necessarily less impact on the environment and as far as the the cruelty aspect of it I I think that's interesting because how do we do can we quantify the pain that like one chicken goes through in their lifetime versus the pain that one cricket goes through in their lifetime and you kill one chicken but in order to reach the amount of volume of food produced by one chicken carcass is what like hundreds of crickets probably yeah and so it's kind of like okay well even if these crickets if you know Do they feel pain exactly as a chicken does? I don't know. Maybe not. Probably not. But it's possible. But even if they don't, if it's some sort of like lesser pain, does the fact that it's multiplied by hundreds does that mean that there's more cruelty in the world by harvesting these chickens by harvesting these crickets rather? Uh, I I don't know. But to me, it actually feels like if, you know, the the animal movement is all about being like the number of animals killed, I feel like the number of animals killed would go drastically up <laughs> if all of a sudden we included crickets in that toll.
1: Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And yeah, I don't know. For me, it's like, I guess. Yeah, because when I think about it. Initially, I'm like, yes, I would rather have one cricket die than one chicken die but it wouldn't be one cricket like you said it's maybe a thousand crickets and coupled with the fact that like the environmental thing it wouldn't really be it would still be more beneficial for us to just to switch to plants i I don't know it just seems like it seems like it's taking a step it's not it's not as much taking a step forward as it's like taking a step kind of to the side maybe slightly forward a little bit but definitely for me personally it's like not even worth exploring because it's too much of a sidestep and I'm going to try to keep pushing forward, you know? And and, uh, like, I I think I'm going to have a hard enough, uh, like I would have a hard enough time, a harder time getting people to, to be on board with eating insects than with eating like plant-based alternatives for the most part, I feel like.
0: Yeah. Or even, uh, what is it cell-based meat? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm totally on board with you. I feel like that. Th- I don't know. It's just. It seems like some like weird like fad thing that people are, like. They're trying to make crickets happen, and you're like, stop trying to make crickets happen.
1: It's it, <laughs> that's how I feel about <laughs> that's how I feel about beer, Andy. I know neither of us drink, but I'm always like, I'm always like, it tastes terrible. It's like, why would you're like trying to make yourself. At least this is my opinion. It's just like this thing where I'm like, the first time you drink it, you're like, oh, this tastes terrible. And people are like, oh, no, it's an acquired taste. And I'm like, why why do I want to acquire this taste? (laughs) But, yeah, you're right. It just does seem like they're trying to make something happen. That's like, this is not a food. Stop trying to make it a food.
0: You know, Paul, some people might say that about coffee.
1: That's true. That's true. That's very true. Yes, but Something coffee... Something you have
0: acquired a taste for, but I have not.
1: <laughs> very true. Andy, have you seen that movie Snowpiercer?
0: Of course. It's a great movie. No, no spoilers.
1: <laughs> I'm not just, I just wanted to say it's a great movie. Unrelated yeah. to anything that we're talking about.
0: Yes, absolutely. All right, Paul. I think with that said, we can leave this one here and turn it over to the hands of the amazing beardos out there. Let us know what you think. What did we miss? What did we get wrong? What terms did we use wrong? <laughs> uh, s- send us in your emails to thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. You know, Paul, we, we got a lot of emails about bugs and insects, and, you know, a lot of them were kind of just sort of like a variation of here's a specific use of insects. Um, you know, things like what about the. the the wax or like the, the lac resin, the shellac, like all, you know, all of these things that are just sort of various versions of here's some weird way that animals have been used. Insects have been turned into an ingredient for human consumption and how should we avoid it? Should we avoid it? Should we care about it? Um, And, you know, without going through like a laundry list of of emails, I feel like to me personally at this point, those are things that I can just chalk up to the fact that we live in a very non-vegan world, that things are very imperfect. And if you feel like it's within your ability to avoid those things and that that's going to be in line with your ethics, go for it. Um, But if you feel like it's going to make veganism too hard for you and you just want to give up the whole thing because of it, um, that you shouldn't feel too exasperated by it or defeated by the whole thing that it's just a part of the deal that we're all dealing with right now.
1: Yeah. I feel like, and there's also a difference between when we're talking about say a candy that has some crushed beetle in it for one of the the red dye or whatever it is. Like it's easy to say like, Oh, okay. I'm just not going to eat that candy rather than trying to say people can't eat apples or people can't eat like oranges and lemons and potatoes. Like I feel like that's a lot, It's like a lot heavier to say, oh, you can't eat those things. than like, hey, you got to stop eating this one candy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's all I got to say about that, Andy. (laughs) Email us in. So what have you got coming up?
0: Paul, this weekend I'll be at the Tampa Bay Veg Fest in Tampa, Florida. That's November 3rd, 2018. November 10th, we're going to be at the Atlanta Veg Fest doing that live podcast. And November 18th, I will be at the Space Coast Veg Fest in Cocoa, Florida. That's my last Veg Fest of the year. So come by the Compassion Company table and say, what's up, Beardo? We'll hook you up with a sticker or a button, whatever we have on hand. Um, I've actually started carrying the Beard Vegans shirts at the Compassion Company merch table. So you can come by and pick up one of those as well, if you so please. But definitely, yeah, come by, get your shout out, get your button, have a good time. Um, You can find all those dates, deeds, and links and events all the way through July of 2019 um, by going to CompassionCo.com. Cool. So, Paul, th- this episode, doing this research, made me want to visit the film A Bug's Life. hmm If you're not familiar, the, the plot synopsis on IMDb is, a misfit ant looking for warriors to save his colony from greedy grasshoppers recruits a group of bugs that turn out to be an inept circus troupe who only try to fend off the grasshoppers by repeating the following <laughs> seven words. We are the Bearded Vegans.
1: Signing off. What's in a name? What's in a name? <laughs> I don't know what inflection to use with this. <laughs> what's in a name? What's in a name? <laughs> okay, here we go.
0: Come on, what's in the name? <laughs> I am excited to dive into you. And I am excited to dive in. I'm excited to dive into you, Paul. So come by the, uh, <laughs> the, ah uh, The,
1: uh,